0: that we will have understanding and revelation, Um, however, with that said, uh, the chapter that we're going to deal with today, um, again, I'm going to try to land on a good note, but I don't know how that's going to happen, Uh, but I'm going to try, and uh, we'll go from there, so it is what it is, you know, and try to land on a good note, we'll see. Uh, so let's pray, and we'll get into the, and then we'll do our confession, and we'll get into the Word. Yes, Mari, what you got? Now it's, it, he's, now. This is not apparently, from what I understand from Michael, uh, the start on this one because I did ask him. He said it was suspicious circumstances, uh, so they could potentially have an arson, arsonist in the area, from what he said. I don't know if that's true that was just the first report, reports change. Uh but it is up near, it didn't actually come across from Canada. It's actually just up near the Canadian border. Um not too far not too far. It's like as far west as you can go and then it's in that uh northwestern corner of Washington, not far from the Canadian border. Um so yeah. So Okay. So did they replace the right hip or the left hip? They replaced the right hip, and now she's just having a lot of trouble with that knee. Okay, well, we'll pray for that knee to be straightened out. could simply be that she's walking differently, and that's just irritating all of those muscles and everything. It could just be something that that... That's that simple. She might need a little bit of therapy or something. At least that's what we can believe for. And But whatever it is, we'll probably believe that doctors find it, and it's an easy fix for sure, absolutely. All right, anybody else? No, we're good. All right, Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we love you and we honor you. We exalt you above all. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy. Father, we glorify you and we magnify you. Father, we count it an honor and a privilege. To gather together in your name. And Father, as we approach, as we prepare to approach your word tonight, Father, we thank you for answering our prayers over Sadie and, uh, and the baby today. Father, we thank you for it. And, uh, and Father, we just thank you that your hands upon them, upon the all family, that your hands upon Stacy and Jonathan as they travel, and upon this family as they celebrate two new babies into the family. And, Father, we thank you for keeping them whole, healed, and well in Jesus' mighty name. Now, Father, we bring uh, Miss Dawn McCludy to you, Father God. Father, you know her situation. Father, uh, you know uh, the fullness of the cancer situation. And so, Father, we thank you uh, that she is healed whole and well. And, Father, we thank you that her recovery is supernatural. Father, we thank you. And we ask, Father God, that um, Your hand of healing be upon her. Father, we take authority over this cancer that's attacking her body, and we command it to dry up every cancerous cell in her body to dry up, to to wither and to die, and to go back from the pit, back to the pits of hell where it came from, and to leave her body in Jesus' mighty name. Father your word says that whatever we bind on heaven is or bound upon the earth is bound in heaven so father we bind this cancer in her body and we command it to be removed and we loose father for you said in your word that whatever we loose on the earth is loosed in heaven father we loose the healing powers of god we loose the ministering angels to go and to deliver healing onto her body in jesus mighty name Father, your word says that if we lay hands on the sick, that they shall recover. So, Father, though we can't lay our hands directly on her physically, we can lay our hands upon her in the spirit, and we do so now. And, Father, we thank you that she's healed from the top of her head to the soles of her feet, that her recovery is supernatural to the level that even the doctors are shocked and amazed at how quickly she heals and recovers. And, Father, if there'll be any chemo, radiation, or any other treatments that she needs to go through that father she goes through them with flying colors that she have no adverse reactions that her body be strengthened through the whole season and that she uh that she not die but live and declare the wonderful works of God in Jesus mighty name and father we thank you for it now father we lift miss sandy up to you once before once again father you gave you miraculously uh worked through the doctors to heal her hip and now her right knee is giving her trouble And there seems to be some question as to what's causing this issue in the knee. But, Father, we know the great physician. And so, Father, we ask and we call for the great physician to be on the job and to heal whatever the ailment is, whatever the problem is, whatever's causing her pain in in that right knee. We rebuke that pain and we tell that pain to go in Jesus' name. And, Father, we thank you that she's divinely healed whole and well. We ask that you give the doctor supernatural wisdom, revelation, and knowledge as to just what to do in her case, just how to handle it, just how to fix it, if there's any therapy that needs to be done, if there's any strengthening that's needed, if there's any bone spurs or ligament issues, Father God, that they'd be uncovered, and that whatever the problem is, that Father that, there, that uh, if there needs to be a natural fix that it's an easy fix. and Father, we thank you that she's divinely healed in Jesus name. We lay hands upon her knee and cause and, and call it and call it and command it to be well. And pain free in Jesus' name. Now, Father, as we approach your word tonight, Father, we ask that you have your hand upon this service. We ask that you give each and every person a spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge, and understanding of the word coming forth. That there be no confusion, that there be no misunderstanding, that there be um, no, uh, no darkness to the understanding. And Father, we ask that the word not just land in the heart and the minds, but down in the hearts of the good good ground of the heart, that revelation would come, that it would land, and that it would produce a harvest of understanding. And, Father, I ask that I yield myself, think through my mind, speak through my lips, use my tongue as that of the pen of the ready writer to declare your oracles, to make the word plain and clear in Jesus' name. And, Father, we give you all the glory and honor, and amen and amen. Glory to God. Well, let's do our confession, and then we'll get right into the word. Glory, glory, glory. Let's do this together. This is my Bible. It is always true and the final authority. My Bible is God talking to me. I read this word daily. I meditate on this word day and night. This word is rooted and grounded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me; I walk according to the Spirit. Stop, stop. Where is the umph? I was trying to push through it, but come on, we got to say this like we mean it. We can't just just say it just to say it. Come on, give me some give me some excitement. Say it from your spirit, not from your head. Come on, let's do it again. This is my Bible. It is always true and the final authority. My Bible is God talking to me. I read this word daily. I meditate on this word day and night. This word is rooted and grounded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the Spirit. I am a child of God. I have the mind of Christ. God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's actions are my actions. I am a doer of the Word. It was on a different line on my page, and that's what messed me up. Glory to God. <laughs> That's what I get for switching in the middle. Glory to God. Well, let's turn to Revelations chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. Glory to God. Uh, last week, we saw about the seven vials of the seven plagues, and we saw that the plagues uh, were not necessarily sicknesses, although one of the plagues did have a sickness of boils on it, um, but... Uh, and we know that God doesn't doesn't have sickness in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. For God to give a sickness, He'd have to steal it first. Um, but really, what uh, plague means is a is a public hardship or a public calamity. It was basically to bring discipline to to those that have already rejected God during the seven years of tribulation. And it looks like to me, I don't know if I pointed this out last week or not. But it looks like the, it doesn't really specify when the seven plagues begin to be poured out. It doesn't specify if it's a little bit throughout um, the seven years or if it's specifically only when the dragon um, is in operation those last three and a half years. That's what I tend to believe it has to do with. And during those three and a half years, it doesn't specify if it starts off right there or if it's like just right there at the tail end before Jesus comes and confronts satan um, it doesn't give us the actual timeline for when those plagues take place uh, but we do know that it does definitely happen in the last seven years we do know that it happens in that time period and we do know that they happen very quickly in succession to each other because all seven angels were sent out at the same time uh, by one of the four beasts uh, so the indication really is You know, When you look at it, we can definitely kind of – we can look at it and we can make a really good – I believe we can make a good guess and say that they probably happened pretty close to the end of those last seven years and that they're kind of a rapid-fire situation, Um, but we don't know exactly. It's kind of like the plagues in Egypt. We don't know how long that actually took, Uh, but we do know that they were one right on top of the other – to debunk uh, the gods that were being worshipped in that day. And we do know that it was about getting God's people released. Um, And we know that Moses was in his 80s when he went back to Egypt. And then God began to use them. And we know that um, they were in the desert for 40 years. Um, and that they were still in the desert at the end of Moses' life, um, and that Moses lived somewhere approximately, somewhere in that time zone. Uh, so, so we do know that those things went pretty quickly, and I think these plagues will go pretty quickly also. Um, so then it's kind of like, okay, God, now what? <laughs> and so in Chapter 17, Chapter 17 is actually very clear. Uh, there's just a few things that we have to make, that we have to kind of clarify uh, what's going on um but really uh God himself explains what a lot of this stuff means that we've been talking about so let's pick up in revelations chapter 17 verse 1 and we'll go on from there and it says and there came one of the one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me come hither so at this point, John has watched all seven angels pour out all seven of the vials, um, and he's seen the earth, and he's seen Israel go through the go through the great plague of boils, and through all of the waters turning into blood, um, and he's seen the sun become scorchingly hot, um, and he so he's seen all of these plagues and the horrificness of. These seven plagues on, on the people. And he's, you know, and I'm sure at this point, John is thinking, This is not the God that I know. I'm sure that's what he's thinking. Um, and so one of the seven angels comes and talked with him. And this angel says, uh, Says unto him, Come hither. In other, in other words, come with me. And the angel says, And I will show you, or I will show unto thee, the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now, when we, I was, the girls, uh, Jackie and Brianna had come over to the house earlier before church, and I was reading, and they asked me something, and Brianna was telling me something, and I told her, I said, I'm sorry, I have to get you to stop, I wasn't listening, I was reading about the great whore, and her and Jackie both went, <gasps> Pastor, you used that language! And I said, well, that's what the Bible literally says is or I wasn't being ugly. I was just reciting what the Bible said. Uh, So let me talk to you about uh, this this whore. Um, First of all, let me just let me define it. Um, You know, and and we think, well, Pastor, I know what a whore is. Well, okay. Um, Yes, it does mean a prostitute, but more specifically, it's one. Uh, that yields herself to the defilement for the sake of gain. Now, okay, well, that word defilement, we don't always know exactly what that word defilement means, so let's, let's put, let's read that definition. It's the act of defiling. Don't you just love it when Webster uses the same word to define the word you're looking for? Isn't that just great? Like, you're like, yeah, well, that's helpful, Webster. It says, or it's the state of being defiled. Wow, thank you, Webster. Wow. Uh, it actually means the act of foulness or being dirty or unclean, uncleanliness. It's the act of being dirty or unclean. It's having a corruption of morals or having corrupted principles or corrupted character, um, being a person of impurity. In other words, there is no purity in your life. Um, Really defilement means it's, really what it means is that you are polluted by sin. Polluted by sin. So we could read the definition of a whore this way. We could read it as this is a person who yields themselves to being polluted by sin for the sake of gain. Let me read that again. This is a good definition. Is a person who yields themselves to being, to, to being polluted uh, by sin for the sake of gain. Now, most of the time when you think of a whore, you think of her selling herself for sex so that she can get money. But you can be a whore in that you make yourself dirty for, to get any type of gain. You can sell yourself to get a gain of a joyful emotion. You can sell yourself to get gain in your job or in your career, you could sell yourself uh, to get friends. You could sell yourself to get that husband or that spouse that you want. You know, there's all kinds of ways, um, and you don't have to always sell yourself physically. There's a lot of people, uh, you actually hear this from a lot of movie stars and athletes, they'll say, I sold myself for fame and fortune. They'll sell out for fame and fortune. We see this happen with a lot of Christian artists. They'll sell themselves over into secularism because they get told... Cause, I mean, they're already making big money. They're already making big buck if they made it big and have a Christian label. But they'll tell them, that, oh, you can get... you If you'll go over into the secular world, if you'll start stop talking about that... You're so gifted and you're so talented. If you'll stop talking about that blood and if you'll stop talking about that man, Jesus, if you'll just... If you'll just make your songs about generic that any religion can use, then we can get you a lot of money. What are they doing? They're 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 basically making themselves a whore. They're basically making themselves a whore. Um, uh, some people now, this is going to sound crazy, and again, I'm not picking on you. You've got tattoos. I've got two of them myself, but some people. Because they want to project an image of being tough and being hard and being, you know, just kind of somebody that you want to kind of back away from. Some people will sell them, will go get tattoos. They'll defile themselves in sin so that people will think that they're tougher or harder than they actually are. Uh, and, and, and you know, I'm not going to use the language, you know, they'll say, oh, everybody will think I'm a, if I get a tattoo of, no, we think you're silly. You know, uh, some people, some people will uh, defile themselves and get over into drinking and smoking and drugs, so that they can gain freedom from the knowledge of their sins or from the knowledge of the hurts of their childhood. Now, now their their intention, that, you know, and a lot of times we don't think of this as being a whore. We think of this as coping. We think of this as partying. We think of this as just having a good time. But the reason you're doing these things that are not of God is so that you can gain some status or some position in life or some type of thing in life. And so, um, and so the Bible talks about, in fact, if you read the Old Testament, especially over there in Jeremiah and, uh, and the bigger prophets, uh, over in Jeremiah and and Isaiah and uh, some of those other books, uh, Jesus, uh, the, the word of God, um, actually calls the Israelites uh, a whore all the time. He talks to them every time they get over. Because what would happen is the Israelites were following God. They were living clean. They were living righteous. They were living for God. They were doing things right but what would happen is they would get to looking to these pagan worlds and these and and, they, and the pagan people were having parties all the time and having all this stuff that looked good every time they every time they tur- every time the Israelites turned around it looked like the pagans were getting to have more fun and more festivals and more of a good time and so the Israelites Uh, would begin to think that they were missing out on something. How much, you know, that's what the devil tells us all the time. Oh, you're missing out. And so what would happen is the Israelites would begin to embrace the behaviors of the pagans. And before they knew it, they were worshiping other gods and trying to worship their god at the same time. And God would call them out and he would say, "Uh, Israel, Israel, you're being a whore. In other words, you're being unfaithful to who you are. Israel, you are selling yourself out to gain the acceptance of the pagans. You're selling yourself out to to get what you perceive as the good time of the pagans. Um, And so it's not uncommon for God to use this type of language. He uses it all through the Bible. Um, and also, the other thing that God does with many of the writers, Paul is no exception, or John's no exception, John here uses what we call a re- uh, um, creative writing style that we refer to as imagery. He's using imagery to help us, uh, he's using the imagery of of a woman who is a prostitute to help us understand the way that God Perceives us when we are out behaving like the pagans behave, uh, and so he, so John is using the imagery of a prostitute. Really, it's not even John. Really, it's God Himself, and He's using an angel to explain it. And John's just writing it out. Really, this angel is using imagery uh, to explain to John how. God sees the world and how God sees people. That's really what he's doing. Um and you know, and and this can be a little bit of a hard pill to swallow um when you look at your life and you say, "Well, uh I'm doing things that the uh, I'm doing things that God doesn't uh, uh agree with and doesn't approve of." And then and the reality hits that God sees you as a whore. That's a hard pill to swallow. Um but the reality is is we have to learn to see things God's way, not man's way. Okay? Um and so that's what he says. He says, so here the angel says, Come and I will show unto thee the judgment. Or now the judgment again, this is not, you know, when we say the word judgment, a lot of people think of a cruel taskmaster with an iron fist and just belittling people and breaking bones just to break bones. No, this is more of a judge on, you know, you going to the courthouse, and there being a judge on the, on, the seat, on the judge's seat, and he's looked at your whole case. He's looked at everything. He's looked at the good. He's looked at the bad. He's looked at everything from every angle. And then he's going to pass down a sentence based on your crimes, based on your crimes, and and you know and judges can have leniency. Leniency. However, at this point in time in the book of Revelations, the time of leniency is over. We saw in the prior chapter uh, that Jesus that it said um, that look over in verse ten of chapter. It was actually chapter fourteen, verse ten. It says, "And the saints shall drink of the wrath of God, which was poured out with mixture." Um, into the cup of His indignation, what that means is, w- when God lays down this judgment, there will be no pe- there will be no grace and no mercy. And so, um, you know, sometimes have you ever have you ever looked? I don't know if most people have. I you know I don't know. Um, but have you ever looked at a case and somebody got like a really hard sentence, and you thought? Man, that was just too hard. That was just too rough. You tend to see this a lot with cases about um, about like when a family gets divorced, when a husband and a wife gets divorced, and you talk about child custody, and one parent like gets full custody, and the other the other parent may not get any custody, or they may only get uh, very strict uh, supervision, or custody, things like that. And, and sometimes you look at that and you go, man, that's just so unfair. The judges always side on the side of the mom, da, 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 da. But how much you know, you don't know the full case. You don't know the full situation. You don't know why that parent or, you know, you don't know why that parent got full custody and the other, par- cu- and the other parent got no custody. You don't know why they got 50-50 custody. Or, you know, or one got, you know, you thought, you thought, oh, man, you're a shoo You know, you're going to get full custody. There's no doubt about it. And then the judge comes in, and the judge goes, oh, no, I'm granting 50-50. And you're like, oh, my God, what's wrong? And, 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 and you're like, oh, that's just wrong. But then somebody comes along and explains to you why, and, and now you see the full story instead of just a piece of the story, and now you understand it. That's the situation here. And so John, John's you know, he's up in heaven, he's seen all of this, and he's looking at, you know, and Christians, we tend to do this, we tend to go, oh, my God's a good God, he's full of mercy and grace and kindness and goodness, and, you know, he'll forgive any sin, and my God wouldn't do that. That's why there's this theology in the churches today that everybody makes heaven. And the reason that that's that way is, one, it's a deceiving lie of Satan, to deceive people, and two, it's that way because people don't want to believe that their God is the God of consequences, that he's a righteous, fair judge, a righteous, fair judge. Um, You know, have you ever gotten grounded and and, and you you were a snotty little teenager and you thought, well, that grounding was too hard, and then you got a little bit of age on you and you looked back and you went, man, mom had so much mercy and grace on me. Because I deserved. So so, uh, so God sent this angel to explain his judgment uh, to John so that John could explain it to us. And so he says, I'm going to show unto you the judgment of the great whore or the great prostitute that sitteth upon the waters. Now, does it say that the judgment was upon the people? Does it say that? No, it says, because remember, the great whore is imagery. It's not actually a single prostitute that God is judging. That's not who he's judging. He's judging uh, someone or something that he equates to being a great whore. And it says that this great whore that sitteth upon the waters. Now, I've been saying it all through the scriptures, all through Revelations, that when you see waters like this, it means people, people. Um, And we're actually actually here in a little while, the angel even declares that the waters are the people. So this great whore is something or someone that has been sitting upon the people. So who is he actually judging? He's actually judging Satan and the devils and the demons. That's who God is actually judging. It's not so much the people, although the people are influenced by uh, this uh, this whore, this woman. Um, and really, what this whore and this woman is is all of the sin. The sin. That's what he's judging is the sin. In verse two, it says with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Now, if you just read this plain and simple with a very natural mindset, you're going to think that the kings of the world have all slept with the same woman. That's what most people think. Is not what this means at all. What this means is, he says, "...with whom the kings or the rulers of the nations..." Uh, have committed fornication, this means unfaithfulness to the one true God. In other words, the kings, the rulers of these nations, have all uh, gotten, into, gotten into a relationship with sin and, and much sin, and they've allowed this much sin to become prominent in their nations. This is where the rulers have said, oh, you want to be homosexual? Go ahead. Oh, you want to be a pedophile? Go ahead. Oh, you want to marry trees and dogs and cows and buffaloes? Go ahead. Oh, you want to be a, you want to be a cat, a dog, a whatever? Go ahead. Uh, this, is where, this is where the kings have said, oh, you want to sacrifice your babies in the womb? Go ahead. Oh, you want us to legalize, uh, legalize alcohol? Go ahead. Sure, we'll legalize it. Oh, you want us to legalize marijuana? Well, while we're at it, why don't we go ahead and legalize fentanyl, cocaine, meth, and every other drug out there? This is what it's talking about: is the kings of the world, the rulers of the nations, have made laws that have been that have made it legally acceptable for people to actively sin without any natural consequences. That's what he's talking about. He, the, the rulers of the nations have uh, basically said, uh, your truth is your truth. Whatever feels good, you can do it. Who are we to tell you that your behavior is wrong? You want to steal? Listen, we're not even going to put you in jail. I mean, the cops, you know, and, and they start, and, and it's a slow fade. How much do you know? they basically said, If you want to loot, go ahead, you can loot. How much do you know? This is our kings, our rulers, our our people in authority. They are being unfaithful to the one true God who set up the rules of our nation. Only this problem is happening worldwide. Now, in this particular situation, it looks like he's primarily talking about over in Jerusalem. It primarily looks like he's talking about the primary area where Satan is ruling and the ten nations that he's ruling with. Uh, but um, it could very well be that, that by this point uh, there's only ten nations in the world and he's ruling all of them. We really don't know. So it says, he says, um, he says I'm going to show you the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon the waters, period. Period. Uh, I mean, colon. He explains what this judgment is. He says, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. In other words, they were unfaithful to the commandments of God. And uh, the inhabitants of the earth. So he's not just, he said it wasn't just the king, it was also the inhabitants of the earth that have been unfaithful. There's also the inhabitants of the earth that have been unfaithful committing fornication, which is unfaithfulness. And they're in idolatry having been made drunk with the wine of her fornication in other words these people are drunk in sin they're drunk in sin what do you mean drunk in sin have you ever got do you know anybody that's ever gotten drunk and just went buck wild just just wild how much you know once they get drunk they just it does it's not like oh i'm 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 drunk and now i'm going to behave and follow god no, it's drunk, so now I'm going to go even farther than I would ever go if I wasn't drunk. So these people are literally drunk on unfaithfulness. They're literally drunk in sin. They just, they can't, get, they just can't get enough. They're sinning morning, noon, and night. These people are just full of sin. And it says this about her. Uh, the one that's driving all of this sin this drive of sin is 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 the whore the drive of sin is the whore and it says so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness so now this angel carries John out of the out of John is no longer in the city of heaven John is no longer in the throne room, any of that. This angel says, Come on, I want to take you outside of heaven, outside of the city of heaven. He's taking him out into a spiritual a place of spiritual wilderness, and he wants John to see what's going on over there. He wants John to see what's actually going on in the heavenlies, outside of the heaven, outside of heaven. And he said, and this is what John says. John said, I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet bee, a scarlet-colored beast, a scarlet colored beast. Full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So this woman is sitting on this uh, crimson, or this scarlet colored beast, so this blood colored beast, um, and and this beast has his names of blasphemy. What are the names of blasphemy? The names of blasphemy are. Are any name like sin? So this beast is full of lies, full of adultery, full of fornication, full of wrath, full of anger, full of drunkenness, full of witchcraft, full of um, idolatry. Anything that's against God, this beast or this dragon is sitting on. Is this this beast that this woman is sitting on? We could call it this dragon. Uh, She's sitting on this beast, and this beast is full of lies, fornication, adultery, uncleanness, lasciviousness, murders, wrath, wickedness, uh, witchcraft, idolatry, you name it. Any type of sin out there, this thing is full of it, and she's riding this thing around like it's her pet. So what is this woman? This woman is basically the driving force of Satan's abilities in people's lives. It's that driving force. It's basically So basically what Paul is describing is Paul is describing the power of Satan. I mean John. I'm sorry. John is describing the power of Satan. Who is the whore? The power of Satan. And what is he speaking? spilling out upon the people. He's spilling out upon the people, whispers about, oh, just tell a little lie. It'll be okay. Go ahead and drink. Go ahead ahead and dabble in witchcraft. Go ahead. Go ahead and, oh, go ahead and and just just tell a little lie. Go ahead and just get a little high. Go ahead and, oh, it's okay to look at that pornography. This is that whore. That whore is the thoughts that come against the minds of people. It's that power of that beast is what he's talking about. So he's not actually talking about uh, a woman. He's talking about all of the demons, the imps. He's talking about all of the servants of Satan is really what he's talking about. But he says this. He said, full of the names of blaspheming, having seven heads and ten horns. Well, we know from the other scriptures that it's the dragon that has the seven heads and the ten horns. We know this. So this whore this that he's talking about is the effects or the demons of Satan. And that this beast that she's writing is Satan himself. And it says, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand. So in other words, what God is saying is that the sins are always dressed in beautiful packages. Always dressed in beautiful packages. I just talked about those that, you know, get fame and fortune, the big athletes, the superstars, and they start off good and then they'll say, Well I sold myself. Well how did they how did they end up selling themselves? Because people said Oh, if you'll do this, we'll get you all this money. If you do this, we'll get you all this gold. If you do this, we'll get you all these fine riches. Um, you know, And most of the people come out of, a lot of these people, it, it's kind of, do you know that most famous people have a uh, poverty story? Are you aware of that? Most of them have a poverty story, or most of them come out of a clean existence. Most of them do. Very few, very few are like, oh man, I I had it all going, I mean, I had all the money, all the wealth, all the da 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 right out of the gate. Most of them that have that, their parents are already sold and the kids are already sold, most of the kids don't make it anyways, sorry to say. Um, Basically, Satan packages the idea of sin in pretty packages. Satan, how much you know it's a pretty package to go, well, if you just tell it like this, then you won't get in trouble instead they'll actually give you a reward, or you won't have any punishment. How do you know how much you know that's wrapping that thing in gold and silver and in pretty pearls so so that's why this woman is is dressed in all these uh, how much you know it says the woman. Or the lies of Satan are dressed in purple and scarlet color. Those are the colors of royalty. Those are the packages of royalty. In other words, and it says, and she was decked with gold and precious stones of pearl. In other words, the sin is dressed up made to look beautiful. Having, gold in her, having a golden cup in her hand full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So she's standing there, this woman, this prostitute, this whore, is standing in front of men and women of the world, and she's got this big, beautiful, golden cup, and the person can't see what's in the cup. All they can see is this beautiful package, and all they can see is that this woman is drinking out of this beautiful cup, and they're going, I want it, I want it, I want it. But what is in the cup is not like a really good treat. What is in the cup is is the abomination of God. What is the abomination of God? It's the things that God has absolute extreme hatred and disgust over. And uh, so she has all of that in her cup. She has filthiness, the filthiness of her fornication in her cup. Basically, she, in her cup is the idea of abortion. In her cup is the idea of lie. In her cup is the idea of pornography. In her cup is the idea of suicide. In her cup is the idea of drunkenness and witchcraft and drug use. In her cup is all of the things that God hates. In her cup is all of the things that are named on the dragon's body. Everything that God hates all the filthiness, and what she's trying to do is she's trying to get the people of the world to drink from her cup, and they're drinking it like it's a wonderful party. They're drinking the poison um, like it's a wonderful party. And then in verse 5, notice at the end of verse 4, it's a colon, and he makes an astonishing note. He notices something. John notices something amazing here, and he goes up, and it says, Upon her forehead was the name written. Now, this is crazy, because he's looking at this beast. He's looking at this dragon that this woman is sitting on, and this beast is, is of, of scarlet color. This beast is massive. This woman is dressed like a queen. She's got this beautiful, golden, uh, well-elaborate cup in her hand, and that's everything that he notices about her. He notices her beauty. He notices the attraction of her. And then all of a sudden, he notices written in her forehead, in very big, bold print, apparently, is a mystery. Mystery. What is a mystery? It's a spiritual secret that can be revealed. So so it says mystery. In other words, it's a spiritual secret that can be revealed. It says Babylon. Now, we know what Babylon is. Babylon is the seat of idolatry, it's the seat of Satan, it's the it's the center place of sin, and it says mystery, perhaps was her name, I don't know, but it says mystery, Babylon the Great or Babylon the Great Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, prostitutes, whores and abominations of the earth. And so now he's looking at this beautiful scene. He's looking at this elegant scene, and he sees this, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And it's in big, bold print. And then it says, and he says, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So he's looking at this very beautiful, very attractive woman sitting on this very interesting beast. It has his full attention, and, and it plainly declares that this is sin. This is the mother of idolatry, harlots, whores, and the, uh, and the abonishments of God, the things that God hates. She can clearly see that this woman is absolutely drunk on the blood of the saints. What does that mean? It means that she's wrought she's with joy because of the number of Christians that she has brought down. She is drunk on her power and her ability to get, Satan, to get uh, Christians to die spiritually. She's drunk on her ability to do this. Um, and so she's drunk on the blood of the saints and on the martyrs. It says, and on the blood of the martyrs of Jesus She knows she's getting. She knows that 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 she's getting these people that she has influence over. These demons, these seas, this power of Satan knows that it's the one that's getting the disciples killed. Do you know how some of the disciples killed got killed? Some of them were crucified upside down. Some, one of them, one or two of them, was dragged behind a horse. Until they just completely ripped apart. Some of them were ran through with swords. Some of them were stoned. Uh, Paul, you know, they shipwrecked. They stoned him. They tarred and feathered him. If you don't know how they get tarred and feathered, that's where they dip you in boiling oil, pull you out and dip you in feathers. That's what happens. It's an agonizing death. Agonizing death. So not only is she driving these people to be murdered, but she's driving them. But this this power of Satan is driving them to be murdered in the most disgusting ways possible, the most painful ways possible. And the disciples were not the only ones being martyred. It was commonplace in this day. It was commonplace for um, the, the these demons. Would, would, uh, that were caught, that were driving people to persecute. Now, we're talking about in the seven years coming, but I'm talking about in John's day. In John's day, it was commonplace that the persecutors of the Christians would take whole families. That's gross you out. Take whole families, take them prisoners, and at the Colosseum games, where the gladiators would fight. And the gladiators would fight lions and things. It was commonplace that they would, that they would take parents in the middle of the Colosseum. Everybody's cheering. These were bloodthirsty people. They would take these Christians' parents and they would chain them to post in the Colosseum. They would take the children. They would freshly sacrifice goats and lambs to their gods. And they would take the furs, the pelts that were still bloody from the goats and the lambs, and put them on the children like coats. And then they would release the lions. What do you think the lions are going after? The children with the bloody pelts on them. And they would do this in order to get the parents to deny Christ. These were some gross, and these are are gross, mild things that they did in John's day. So when John sees this woman drunk on this power of killing the, the Christians and killing the, and, 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 and drunk on the blood of Christians and drunk on the blood of martyrs, he understood what they were doing. He understood, he understood why this woman, why this power of Satan uh, was drunk on this power. He got it. He got it. And uh, it says on the and it says and when I saw her I wondered with great admiration. This is John, and he understands the persecution of the martyr, the persecution of the Christians. He understands how the how the martyrs of Christ are dying, and he looks upon this this woman, this whore, on this beast, and he looks at her with admiration, awe, and wonder awe and wonder, and he looks at her like, huh, with some admiration, with some admiration. And it says, and the angel said unto me, wherefore does thou thou marvel? Why was he marveling? He was marvel. It wasn't that he was marveling at her drunkenness. He was marveling. Well, let's read a little bit. Let's read just a little bit. Let's give you the answer.
1: Getting ahead of myself.
0: He said, why do, it, why do you marvel? He says, I will tell thee a mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and the ten horns. He, he said, in that moment, the angel realized that John didn't understand what he was looking at. In that moment, John didn't get it. John didn't understand. John was like so many Christians, well, they're up in the heavens, so this has to be the hand of God. And, and the angel said, no, John, you're not getting this. You're not understanding this. So then John begins to, pur- begins to explain this. But here's why John marveled. John marveled because he didn't understand God the way that we understand God. They thought in their day everything that happened was by the hand of the one mighty God. John is beginning to understand the fullness of Satan. And that he's beginning to understand that Satan actually has power. That Satan is actually capable of some things. And so the angel goes on to explain to him who this woman is and who this beast is. Pardon me, I'm a little dry. He says this. He said, the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. So where it says, uh, the beast that thou sawest was and is not. In other words, this beast that you see, once upon a time was something and someone. But now he is no longer someone or something. And this beast is going to ascend out of the bottomless pit. He's going to ascend out of the bottomless pit. So we understand now that the beast is Satan. And then he says he's going to ascend out of the bottomless pit, and he's going to go down, or he's going to go into perdition. This absolutely messed with my head and my theology, because I said, no, wait a minute. What do you mean Satan's coming out of the pit, and then he's going down into perdition? Let's figure this out, because I was very confused. We know that during these seven years, the last years of the tribulation, we know that an angel is sent down to the bottomless pit, and that he releases, that the chain on the bottomless pit is taken off, and that the demons come out of the bottomless pit, and that for three and a half years it's all the demons, but they're being controlled by Satan, who's still hanging out in the bottomless pit. And then at some point, Satan comes out of the bottomless pit. So, we understand that this is Satan coming out of this bottomless pit. But what does it mean that he's going to come out of the bottomless pit and go down into perdition? Well, let's look up what perdition means. Well, perdition is the destruction which consists of eternal misery and hell. Well, I thought the bottomless pit was hell. Right? Thought the bottomless pit was hell, right? Bottomless pit's in the middle of the earth. Hell's in the middle of the earth. Is it not the same? Apparently not. Let me give you the definition of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit literally means bottomless, unbounded, the abyss, the pit, or the immeasurable depth. It's a region of hell. Even Dad Hagen, he's got a little mini book out here. Reverend Kenneth E. Hagen has a little mini book out here called I Went to Hell. And he talks about in that book that he went down, 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 and he even saw the gates of hell. And he knew if he went through the gates of hell that he wasn't coming out of the gates. And he also said that he saw the flames of fire flickering on the wall after he went down, 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 into this bottomless pit. So wait a minute, I'm confused. A more full definition of this is, is that it is, the, is it, it is an immeasurable depth of um, what they called Orcus, which in which is a Greek which is the Greek god of death. Orcus It's where we get the word orcs from. For those of you that are into um, you know Lord of the Rings and all of that stuff, uh, orcs come from this word Orcus. In fact, before Tolkien's book, everybody understood that an orc was a demon. They understood that. Uh, But it was, so it's the place of Orcus. It was the very, it's it's a very deep gulf or chasm in the lowest parts of the earth, used as the common receptacle for the dead, especially as the abode of demons. Currently, The bottomless pit, which is the upper region of hell, is where the the dead um, are deposited, those that don't have Christ. And this is the place, this is the home of demons. This is where they live. This is where they abide. They're not currently abiding in uh, perdition or the fullness of hell. They're abiding in the bottomless pit, which is like the first region of hell. So when somebody dies uh, that does not know Jesus, they actually go into the bottomless pit, which is the first region of hell. And because that's where the demons live, they're tormented there. But they have not yet experienced hell like they're going to experience it for all of eternity. They will not actually experience the fullness of hell until the day of judgment. Okay? The fullness of hell, or perdition as they called it in his day, is the destruction which consists of eternal misery or eternal separation in hell. So right now, Satan is in that upper chamber, which we refer to as the bottomless pit. So it is in the earth, it is isn't a pit, it is bottomless. But right now... Uh, Satan is able, will be able to come up out of this bottomless pit. He'll be able to come up out of it. But if after the Day of Judgment, he's not going to be just restricted to the bottomless pit. He's actually going to be restricted to the inner depths of the, of hell, uh, where there will be no escape, there will be no release, and he will be there for all of eternity. And those on Judgment Day that have made their decision to serve Satan will go there with him. Uh, So this is a very different scene. It's a very different situation than what most of us think. Uh, So that kind of took me a little bit to figure out. (laughs) So so while we can refer to the bottomless pit as hell, it's not the fullness thereof yet. Not the fullness thereof yet. That's why people that currently go to hell, they think that... Uh, they know that there's a judgment day. They know that there's a day, especially people that grew up in a pit, especially people that knew God, that thought they knew God and ended up going down instead of going up. They're sitting in this pit thinking, I just got to get before the judge. And when I get before the judge and I tell the judge my story, then my placement is going to change. Only God's a righteous judge and nobody goes to the pit unless God has already judged them righteously but they don't know it. This is what happens. This is what happens with criminals today. Criminals go into the detention center and the whole time they're in the detention center they're going, "I'm innocent, I'm innocent. I just got to get before the judge. I just got to get before the judge." And then the court date comes and all the evidence is laid out in front of them and they realize I'm right where I'm supposed to be and now I'm gonna go deal with the full punishment and then the and then the sentence gets held handed down and they go off to prison for five, ten, twenty, thirty, maybe life in prison. Heaven uh, heaven and ha- heaven or in this situation hell operates very much so the same way. There's a holding place in hell. Um and in heaven uh there's um you know there you know everything Satan does is a counterfeit for everything that God has. So, right now, when we go, you know, if we check out of here uh, before the day of judgment, um, we're going to go into heaven and it's going to be great and wonderful. But we're not going to get our reward until judgment day. Until judgment day. That doesn't come until judgment day. It's not like you get to heaven and, woo, ha, I get my reward today. No, you got to wait for judgment day. Kind of like, yes. Kind of like. but in the old testament and old she asked she asked if this is similar to Abraham's bosom, so Abraham's bosom is Old Testament in the Old Testament they had this is where the idea of purgatory comes from in the Old Testament, again, you know they didn't have Jesus they had no they had no opportunity to receive Jesus, so in the Old Testament, the way they described it and explained it. Was those that had not just completely rejected God; those that just weren't, you know, they they loved God, but they weren't really living right. They needed a Jesus. They needed Jesus. Those were the ones that went to Abraham's bosom. Um, and it, the Bible declares over, I believe it's in Peter, um, that Jesus, while he was in the place of the damned, that he went and preached to those in captivity. So when Jesus was in Hell for three days. He actually he he was in that cell. He was being tormented like we would be tormented in the place of devils and demons. The Holy Spirit at some point went down, quickened him um, back to life. He knocked Satan off of his throne, stripped him of his authority, paraded him before all of the demons, and then at some point along those three days, Jesus went over to all of those in captivity in the place of the dead, Abraham's bosom, and he preached himself to them. And those that received him came out of the grave, and when he ascended, they ascended. So that's where Abraham's bosom comes into play. So it's something along that, because now when we die, we go immediately to heaven. We don't go to Abraham's bosom. But those in hell are kind of still in that chasm of waiting for judgment. Looking at an apartments is great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right? And right now they're all on, like, they're all on the first floor of damnation. And the floors go in reverse order. Like, the farther down you go, the worse it gets. That's the way I picture it. That's exactly how I picture it. Huh? Well, purgatory, the idea of purgatory is they believe that every person, good and bad, goes to purgatory. And that you are all waiting there until the divine one decides your fate. No, because the people that are in hell are in hell. That's where they're going to be for the rest of their life. Just the level of damnation has not yet been determined. Yes. That is, purgatory is the doctrine of men. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so that's where, so this... So, it says, so he's explaining, so here this angel is explaining, he says, the beast that thou sawest was, in other words, it was somebody that was somebody, but now nobody is not, um, semicolon, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. He said, so he told him, he said, this beast is coming out of the bottomless pit, but he is going to go into perdition. And then there's a colon, and he explains more. He says, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, Whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, um, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. In other words, people are going to go. there people are going go, to go. Wait a minute. Satan was Lucifer, and then so he was a somebody, and then he was a nobody. But now he's here. He's in rule. He's in control. So it seems like that he now is, but yet he's not. He's a nobody. He just has to have his time of freedom. But this phrase right here, that the whole earth shall wonder whose names were not written in in the book of life from the foundation of the world. This gets some people very confused and very messed up. Some people believe that every single person that has ever existed and will ever exist, that God wrote all of their names down in a book that first day before the world was ever created, and that is not true. How can you write your name down if you have yet to exist? You can't. I mean, you can kind of, it's kind of like when a lady is pregnant and the mom and dad are trying to pick names, and they're trying to name the baby, but how many men and women do you know that pick names before, like truly actually pick names, and this is the name, that's the way it's going to be before the child ever is has ever even come into existence, or the idea of. I mean, little girls will think, well, when if I ever have a little girl, I want to name them after granny or gra- or whatever, but... Do they actually pick the name until the baby's actually on the way? And even then, I know people that have the name picked and then the baby gets here and they go with a totally different name. Totally different name. Especially if they had a girl's name picked and it's a boy that pops out. You know, it's like, ooh, we got to back up and pump this thing. Like, we got to figure this thing out. No, what it means is that from the foundation of the world, people have been trying to figure out whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and whose are not. That's what they've been trying to do. In other words, from the beginning of the world, people have been trying to decide who's going to heaven and who's not. And I've heard some very interesting theories. I've heard uh, people say things like, "But God knew everybody. But God knows the beginning from the end, so He could have written everybody's name down." Well, I guess He could have. Uh, but at the same time, if that's true, then that means everybody has a pre-planned, complete destiny. Um and and that's not so. In order for if from in order for God to write down the names of my children, uh then God had to know that Michael and I were gonna get married before the foundation of the world, which means that there that Michael is the only person I could ever possibly marry and ever possibly have children with. Uh well, God that didn't work out because we did get married, but uh there ain't no children. So that doesn't work. You know. Or uh the, you know, or well, I just don't know. Maybe he's the one, maybe he's not. Well, I have no free will if God's already decided that he's my one. I have no free will. I'm not being, where I'm just giving you examples. So it can't believe that can't mean that. Then I've heard some people say, Well, the Bible says that the weeds that God allows the wheats and tares to grow up, and so somebody has to be the tear. And so uh I believe that God created some people that he just knows when he puts them in the womb that's gonna be a tear. Well, what a horrible God that is. Well, here, honey, honey, you're my child, but you're destined to be a terror, and you're destined, to go, you're destined to go to hell. doesn't matter how you live your life, you're going to hell. What kind of parent is that? Does anybody It's personal choice. So for God to be able to write down everybody's name before he ever formed the world completely takes free will out of the picture. So there's no possible way it can mean that. What it means is, how much do you know? Don't you know? You look at people's lives and you think, hmm, I wonder if that one's making heaven today. I wonder if that one's making heaven. I wonder if that one's making hell. This has been a pro- This has been. This has been something that's been going on since the foundation of the world, and he and and, and so and even so much more in those last in those last days in those last seven years in the last three and a half. Years of those seven years when the persecution of Christians is so incredibly thick? How much do you know they're going to be trying to figure out? I wonder if my neighbor's going to heaven or hell. I think. I mean, persecution could be this bad. I think my neighbor, I mean, that... They don't act like the rest of us. They kind of act like a goody two-shoe. I think they're probably a Christian. Therefore, they're probably to ha- headed to heaven. And well, I can get some, I can get an extra 50 bucks on my credit if I turn them in. Like, people will be thinking this crazy stuff. I'm not saying it's going to go that way. I'm just trying to explain to you that just like we're going to be trying to figure it out today, they're going to be trying to figure it out in their day. Does that make sense? It's quiet in this Presbyterian church today. Am I making sense? You got this all figured out? What you got? It can't be because the Lamb's Book of Life, and that means the people that were born before him had no chance. Had no chance. Which means Abraham can't be in the Lamb's Book of Life. Right. Right. But remember, everything that happened in Old Testament is a precursor to New Testament. So in order to get in Abraham's bosom, they would have had to be in the Book of Life. Huh? What would you say? It's not. Lamb's Book of Life and Abraham's bosom is not the same thing. I assure you. Okay. So he goes, so now the angel says, he says, here is the mind which has wisdom, or here the mind which has wisdom. So so now the angel says, okay, I know I'm kind of messing with you, I'm kind of messing with your thinking, but here's the important part. If your mind has wisdom, you need to understand this that I'm fixing to tell you. So now the angel starts to explain it in even better detail. He says, the seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, over in Israel, there are seven hills or seven mountaintops that have major cities in them that were ruling cities. Okay? Um, those were the ruling places, those were the ruling kingdoms. And uh, so this is a type and shadow of the leadership of the region. In and around Israel and Jerusalem. So he says this. He says, uh, so the seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. So basically he says, this woman of sin, this, this power of Satan, this push of Satan, um, is sitting on these seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is. Which means out of the seven, five of the kingdoms have fallen, and one is still, avail- is, is still in power. And the other is not yet come. In John's day, they thought that the one that was still in power was Rome. They thought the one that was still in power was Rome. And it says, and um, the other is not yet come. And when he cometh... He must continue for a short space, so in other words there's been there's been six powerful kingdoms that have existed. One of them in John's day was still in control, which was Rome, but the seventh most powerful king in that area, the seventh most powerful kingdom in that area, has not yet come has not yet come. but at some point. This, this king, this ruler, is going to have great control. And he's only going to have great control for a short space of time. It says, and the beast that was and is not, in other words, he had power, but now he doesn't have power. Even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth down into perdition. So, what this tells us is during the seven years of tribulation, there's going to be this guy this guy that raises up a kingdom and he's going to have strong power, which we've already seen is the guy that uh has the beast in him, not the dragon but the beast, the first guy, the first ruler that rules for the first three and a half years that has uh, the, that has a very strong spirit in him he's going to have the kingdom. But then Satan is going to come, and he's going to be the eighth ruler. And, is the, and he says, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. Now, that was talking about their day. Now we're talking about future tense. This prophecy re- applies to their time and to our time. So in, the seven, in these seven years, there's going to be seven nations that are basically going to take rule, and these seven nations are going to be what's going to lead us into what's commonly being referred to as a one-world government. This is how, this is what they believe. Yes. 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 Eventually, in time, yes. Eventually, in time, yes. Let's keep going. The ten horns which thou sawest are the ten kings which have received no kingdoms yet. This means that there are. So I'm sorry, I misspoke. There were six kingdoms. Five had ruled. One had Rome. Rome, we know, has now fallen. The sixth kingdom and the seventh kingdom are still working to come to light. The sixth and the seventh. Remember, he had seven heads. The sixth and the seventh kingdoms come to pass during the seven years of tribulation. Okay? Those, that comes to pass during the seven years of tribulation. The sixth kingdom rises during the first half. The seventh kingdom rises during the second half. Right. Now look at the ten horns. It says, The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power or jurisdiction as kings one hour with the beast. So while the beast, while the dragon, and this gets confusing, and I understand that this is confusing, because if you remember in the prior chapters, John talked about the beast came the first half, and the second half, the dragon came. Remember that? This is confusing because in this chapter, the beast is referring to the dragon, not the beast, out of the prior chapter. Do you understand that? Remember the names of Satan. Satan is referred to as the dragon, the beast, the serpent, the accuser of the brethren, Satan, and the devil. So here, when it says beast, if I read it this way, it would make more sense to you. And the ten horns which thou sawest, and the ten kings which have received no kingdom yet, but receive power or jurisdiction as kings for one hour with the dragon. It would make more sense based off of what we read before. Does that help clarify it a little bit? Does that help? Everybody's Everybody's looking at me like I'm kind of crazy. Okay, let me go back to verse 9. Let's go back to verse 9. He says, And there is, and, he, and here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. The whore. The whore sitteth on seven mountains. In other words, there's seven kingdoms... There's seven kingdoms that are full of sin and idolatry. Seven of them. Okay? Now, old-time theologians believe that because Israel, if you look up the seven ruling nations around Israel, you will find that there're seven nations that sit there's seven mountains or seven hills that sir so don't look it up right now cuz then you don't listen to me. This homework you'll find out that there's seven hills or seven mountaintops around Israel that during this time in history had seven large kingdoms that ruled what they understood the world to be, okay? And this had to do with uh, the Medes and the Persians and all of that. Rome was one of them. All of the other nations had fallen with the exception of Rome. Okay. So then it says in verse 10. It says. And there are seven kings. So over these seven hills. Or seven cities. There seven kings. These cities or hills. Are, are ruled and reigned by seven kings. Five have fallen. In other words. The angel told John. The five hills, or the five cities, or the five regions that make the difference, five of them have already fallen. Five of them are already, they don't exist anymore. That's the Persians, the Medes, the, and all of those that, that were big to-dos in the Old Testament. And one is, there was one that was still in rule, there was one still in control, there was still one reigning in John's day, and that was Rome. Since John's day, Rome has now fallen. So when he says, uh, and there's one now, does not mean that that kingdom is still in power today. Okay? It says, and one is, he was talking about in John's time. And the other is not yet to come. So none of these ruling nations that are idolic nations that have rule over Israel, none of them are in existence today. Okay? Israel is still its own nation. Israel is still following God. Israel is not controlled and seated in idolatry Although there's a bunch of idolatry ruling around it, the nation itself is still a nation for God. So it says, and the other is not yet come, which means that this last nation has not yet come to power. He says, and when he cometh, he must continue a short space. When this final ruler shows up, He's going to show up, and he's going to rule with great power, but he's only going to rule with great power for a very short time period. Everybody follow me now? Everybody good now? Yes, no, maybe. Did you get it? Y'all got it? Zach, you got it? He says, sure. Okay. He says, verse 11, "...and the beast or the dragon..." because it makes more sense for what we've read earlier. We're going to read it as the dragon, and the dragon that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven. So in other words, he's letting us know that this seventh head is going to be ruled by two individual people. We know that the first half is going to be ruled by a man that is possessed by a demon that gets its power from Satan himself. The second half is going to be a man that has that Satan has taken possession of his spirit. So now you've got two different individuals, but they're going to make up one head of the seven heads. Does that make sense? All right. And then... Once he does all of this, once all of this comes to pass, at the end of the se- at, at the end of the 7 years after he has his short reign, that is when Satan is actually going to be put in hell for all of eternity. It's sometime after he has his reign. Sometime after he has his reign. It doesn't tell us specifically when he goes into perdition. It just says that he's going to come to power and then he's going to go into perdition, but it doesn't tell us when at this point. That comes on later. All right. And the ten, horn, and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power or authority or di- jurisdiction as kings uh, one hour with the beast. Now, where it says one hour, that word, hour can actually be translated hour, day, week, a season, or a year. And so it, doesn't, it does not specifically mean that Satan is only going to be ruling for one hour. It actually just means that he's going to rule for, it would be a better translation to say uh, that he's going to, that the kings will have, uh, that, uh, that they will receive power as kings for one season. With the beast. One season would be a better translation. Uh, we know from the rest of our studies that they'll have power. Uh, they'll probably come to rise at the beginning of the seven years, but they'll really get their full jurisdiction right there when Satan shows up at the last three and a half years. Uh, so that's when these are going to rise. And again, this is all t- these are all signs of the times so that the people that are here on the earth will know how much time is left. Okay? So when the world is being ruled by one man, but that one man has ten kings under his authority and power, that's a sign that you are in the last half of the tribulation. That's what this is a sign of. This is a sign and a wonder. Now, it says, These have one mind, talking about these ten kings, have one mind and shall give their... Power, their authority, their jurisdiction, and strength onto the beast. So basically, what's going to happen is there's going to be ten rulers that Satan is going to bring together, and they are going to, uh, and he's going to deceive them, and he's going to get them to surrender all of their power and make him the supreme ruler. It's basically what's going to happen. And here's why they do it. Verse 14. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. Does it say that they're going to make war with, each, with, with, with the other nations of the world? Nope. It says that these ten kingdoms, or these ten kings, all their power and authority, are going to make war with the Lamb. And does it say that mankind's going to overcome these kings? It says that the Lamb is going to overcome. This is not a battle of human against human. This is a battle of Satan using these kings and all of their power and all of their authority to defeat uh, Jesus. Um, and the reason that he's using people, the reason that Satan is using people, is because Satan has already tried to defeat Jesus with his own army and couldn't do it. So, he, so Satan is, in, is, uh, uh, is drafting mankind to help fight God and even that's gonna fail. It says, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and they that are with him uh, called and chosen and faithful. When Jesus comes at the end of the seven years to face off with when Jesus comes to face off with Satan all of us that go up in the rapture, we're coming back with him. We're coming back with him. Not to fight in the battle. The battle's already won. We're coming back with him because when he comes back, Satan and all of his kings and all of them are going to be put under. They're going to be whipped in a victorious battle scene they're going to be absolutely whipped, and all of us that go out of here in the rapture are going to come back as rulers of the earth with him. And that we're going to be given nations and regions and cities and neighborhoods to rule over. So we're coming back with him. Isn't that wonderful? We're not coming back to fight a big battle. Uh, the angels and the Lord Jesus will handle that. We're coming back uh, to rule with Jesus. And he saith unto me, this is what the angel says to John. Look at this. And the waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Where the, 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 the whore, the water that the whore, the power of Satan had power and rule and authority over, were the people, the nations, the generations, the tongues. In other words, he took, the angel says, it says, the whore had an oppressive power over all of the people. That's what it is. But God, gets, but God deals with this. Now, verse 16 can be a little hard. It says, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate. Now, this sounds like the kings are going to turn on the dragon, but that's not at all what it means. Uh, other translations write it better. A, a better way to read it would be this, And the ten horns which they saw, the ten kings that were upon the beast, they um, with the beast shall hate, um, uh, well, it says, it says that, uh, hold on, let me read it better. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. In other words, what he's saying is the kings and the beast are going to hate the people and the nations. The kings and the beast. Let me read this verse to you out of a better translation. You'll understand it better out of this other translation. Because I was like, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute uh do 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 you find it I'm gonna read this out of All right, Uh, the basic, the BBE. It says, And the ten horns which thou saw and the beast, uh, these will be turned against the evil woman and will make her waste and and uncovered and will take her flesh of food and will have her burned with fire. Uh, Talking about the people. Yeah, the Easy English says this: the strange animal and the ten horns, so the beast, the dragon, and the ten horns that you saw will hate the bad woman and will destroy her, and they will take her and will take her clothes and will eat the meat on her body. When they will, uh, then they will burn what remains of her with fire. In other words, in other words, this woman, this this this. Uh, persuasion of sin that has caused these people to worship Satan, Satan and these kings will absolutely hate the people that were persuaded. And he will turn against them and he will torture them greatly. How much do you know this is the character of Satan? Satan talks you into sin, but then he still hates you and then he beats you to death. His character does not change. So at the end, towards the end of these seven years, uh, you know, these spirits are going to talk these people into sinning greatly. And then um, towards the end, when the beast comes on the scene, he's going to get the kings to come against these people even and making them naked and making them ashamed and making them desolate. And it, it's just going to be awful. ...for the people that haven't turned to God. It's just going to be awful. Let me read this last these last two verses. It says, For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to, aggr- and to agree... ...and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words, the spirit spoken, rhema words of God, shall be fulfilled. Let me be very clear. God did not put it upon their heart. That's not what it means... What it means is God allowed their hearts to become so hard. He allowed them to become hard-hearted. He gave the people the freedom to become hard-hearted, so that the word of God, the prophet, so that the prophecies would be fulfilled. He, he, in other words, God allowed mankind to have free choice. Um, and then it says, and the woman. Which thou sawest is the great city, the great city, which reigneth over the kings and over the earth. So who is the woman? It's the great city of sin. It's the great city of sin. Uh, uh, Babylon or that area of Israel and Jerusalem, that region, that whole region that is supposed to be serving God will actually reject God. During those last seven years. Okay? But in the end, we win. In the end, we win. Uh, God comes running, comes to the rescue. Uh, In chapter 18, he then describes uh, what this judgment upon this city looks like. And it's not a good judgment. Um, And then in chapter 19, we start to see the victories. In chapter 19, we start to see the goodness of God. So hopefully we only have one more week of ending on not a great note. Uh, But this is why you don't want to be here for the tribulation. This is why you want to get your life right now, not later. Does this make sense? All right. Glory to God. Well, Mr. Derek, if you'll come for our tithes and our offerings. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your love, and your mercy. Father, we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Father, it's a great honor to give into your house. And Father, we just give you much praise and much honor, much worship. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Father, we ask that you bless the hands that give. And Father, that you bless their families in every area of life. And Father, we thank you for your goodness, your love, and your mercy. Father, we thank you that you've answered and continue to answer all of our prayers. And Father, we look forward to spending time with you. Friday night, just to give you worship, honor, and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. and amen. We thank you, Lord, that the word is working. The word is true. Derek, you can serve the people. Thank you, Father. We've only got just, I think, what four more chapters to go, and and uh, we, that means that we end, We get to where we get to the point where we win. We get to the point where we win. <laughs> thank God. Uh, Because the last last few chapters have been kind of (laughs) rough. We like where we win. We don't like where we lose. (laughs) Praise God. No, as long as we always stay with God, we always win. Well, y'all go home, have a good night, get some good rest. We'll see everybody Friday night. Glory to God.